0: Hi, I'm Mo Maduro. Welcome to the Life Expansion Over 50 podcast. Today, we'll be talking about level setting to set the stage for when I introduce the seven fitness areas and what that's all about. It's important for us to be on the same page, at least understanding where we may disagree and where we agree. It's certainly not necessary for you to agree with me to understand and benefit from the seven fitness areas. But I do think it's important for you to work it out for yourself. I'm not trying to be a guru. It's important that you come up with your point of view about how this works. It relates to your life. And I think it's a fallacy to generalize that because we're all the same, we all have a brain, and nervous system, limbs, etc., and make the leap that what works for person A is going to work for person B when it comes to above the line or transformation, personal development, etc. The same hammer that forges the steel shatters the glass. And you don't have to look very far to find siblings, even twins who grew up in the same household, same environment, went to the same school, and they're completely different. And it's because of the associations that that play out. And while we're not our behavior, our behavior certainly becomes our personality. And that personality is how we interact with others as well as how we respond to our environment. We'll talk about some concepts and there's certainly valid research behind it. So to put it in perspective, when I was going through the neuro practitioner training and the certification, I did have the opportunity to interact live with the neuroscientists. And I would ask them point blank. It seems like you agree that this is thus and so. And they would say, yes, I agree with that. So I said, why, why is it not being said? And there's a litany of reasons, but the short version is one, things are changing so rapidly and it's a lot to unpack. Imagine all of the books and all of the courses that have been completed in the universities, and then to come out and say, oh, we had it wrong. It's actually like this. So it's not that bad, but I'll get into it. My point is, the other reason is that scientists have a fairly high bar to cross. When they want to get peer-reviewed, other scientists have to be able to get the same or similar results from the experiments. And some of this is not easy to get empirical data because it's what's going on inside of us and you can't really see that. I mean, we're getting... We have measurement tools today that were not available just even 50 years ago, let alone two and 300 years ago, when a lot of these principles were first being formed. In this episode, I'll go through some quotes from William James, known as the father of psychology, around 1890. On the topic of, although we're the same role, we can also be very different. Looking at MBTI, the Myers-Briggs Type Indicator, the biggest breakdown is the N and the S. But if you think about an INTJ and how different they are going to be from an ESFP, but especially because the N and the S is different. These are preferences, and so these people are going to respond differently to the stimuli that they're faced with, and going through a course or a training program or something that's coming from a guru is being presented to them. That becomes a stimuli. And so I would argue that there is no one-size-fits-all when it comes to crossing the river because we all have our own cross to bear. As a matter of fact, if you think about people's purpose being very unique to them, And it's because it taps into our own purpose. That's why people can go to a sermon at church and come away with with different perspectives on it because it spoke to them differently because of where their heart is and and what's important to them from a purpose standpoint. We'll talk about, I'll go back into the 1800s because that's when a lot of this was formed. So it's it's really interesting. The reptilian part of our brain is over a million years old, the brainstem and the lower part of the brain. The the upper part is... uh, it's still over 100,000 years old. So this brain is, the brain we have is an old brain. It's been, it hasn't changed much in 100,000 years. And for all intents and purposes, it's a hunter-gatherer brain, a brain that was designed to survive and procreate in a hunter-gatherer tribe kind of environment. So it makes sense, some of the things that we'll be talking about. Now, because everything is atoms, you can look to nature and understand how some of the philosophers of two and 300 years ago were able to figure some of this out. But what they said two and 300 years ago is very accurate. I'll read some quotes from William James, and you'll see that it's still what we say today. It mirrors right along with the law of attraction, and that's the other point. So things like the law of attraction, think and grow rich, as a man thinketh. I read probably 30 years ago somewhere all success literature, is derived from either Proverbs, Quran, sayings of Confucius, or or teachings of Buddha. And that stuck with me. So I did spend some time looking into the Quran. I did focus more on the Bible because that was my my own particular faith. And what I've been doing is mapping a lot of this work back to Proverbs. Now, in around 1900, plus or minus 20 or 30 years on either side, there was an explosion of literature because of the growth in publishing houses. Publishing houses started sprouting up and that led to just a plethora of books being written. And specifically in this area, what was called the New Thought Era. And it's this type of works by The Game of Life by Lawrence Shin. Science of Getting Rich by Wallace Waddles, The Master Key of Riches. These kinds of books were written around that that time. Like I said, 1900 plus or minus 30 years. And a lot of it was written based on what the philosophers were saying in their mid-1800s and earlier, what was missing are the measurement tools that we have available to us today. And they've only really been, become available widely in the last 30, 40 years where you can measure some of the things in the brain. Something like, you know, how do you measure a neuron? How do you count neurons when they're so tiny that there's 100 billion of them inside of our brain and our nervous system? And most of them are in the brain, 86 billion neurons in the brain. It's a lot of neurons, and how do you count those? So, you know, having the measurement tools to be able to do that obviously opened the door. Here's some quotes from William James. The greatest discovery of my generation is that a human being can alter his life by altering his attitudes. Another one. Believe that life is worth living, and your belief will help create that fact. See, this sounds like what you have from Law of Attraction, but again, the Law of Attraction is derived from many of the works that I was referencing earlier. Believe that your life is worth living, and your belief will help create the fact. Sounds like man's search for meaning. The greatest use of life is to spend it for something that will outlast it. Makes the case for pursuing your purpose and a life of self-actualization. All our life so far as it has definite form, is but a mass of habits. And this supports the notion of 95% of our lives is, is run by habit. The world we see that seems so insane is a result of a belief system that's not working. And we know that our beliefs, we form them without our consent, so to speak, and then we've gotta live our lives out based on those beliefs. And you can see how beliefs can show up. Politics, religion, just all sorts of things. And you see it breaking down, especially when the country in the US has gotten divided. You can see how powerful beliefs separated families. There are people who haven't spoken to each other in a, in a half a decade because of just political differences. There's but one cause of human failure, and that is man's lack of faith in his true self. The greatest weapon against stress is our ability to choose one thought over another. These were written in 1890, and here we are still trying to figure it out. And I'll tell you, you'll hear me say, to know and not do is to not know. And that's because knowing this at a cognitive level in the conscious mind does not necessarily translate into behavior, especially when your behavior is... Is 95% by habit. It makes sense when you say it that way. Why do we spend time on the intellectual side? Why not train like the Army does, especially in the Rangers, where you actually have to do it? It's always hands-on, hands-on, hands-on. There are other organizations that I know they had leadership development. They had the leaders actually move pegs around on a board as they were demonstrating this leader's now going to go and talk to this person. And they would have to move the peg over there. And the point was they were introducing some other senses, but also you're doing. And to know and not do is to not know. That's where that connection is. But I like when the the greatest weapon against stress is our ability to choose one thought over another. Then genius means little more than the faculty of perceiving in an unhabitual way. Now that's interesting. So in other words, what they're saying is genius is really just not Following the norm when it comes to thinking, which is why it's so important to figure it out for ourselves, to have a point of view. When I was mentoring the really bright employees, I focused on having them develop a point of view. It's really interesting because many of them who were straight A students, 4.0, coming out of college, and then they were in the corporate world, they were so used to being given the answer, as in from the professor, that it was difficult for them, many of them, to formulate a point of view because they, they always wanted to try to figure out what, what's the right answer. And so we spent time on that. And it takes a little bit, this is a muscle. Once they got it and they understood it and they realized that it wasn't a threat and that it was value to have a point of view, then you could unleash that. But how many people go through life never embracing and stepping into owning and having and demanding of themselves a point of view in things that matter. So that point there about genius is sort of like habitual thinking is the opposite of critical thinking. And don't we see so much of that? We A lot of people have become so reliant on Google and search that we've stopped doing the critical thinking. And unfortunately, for the last 10 years or so, largely the internet has been regurgitating itself. The way that people write content by going to the internet to do research. And now artificial intelligence is doing somewhat of the same. I know they're putting other inputs in it as well, but a lot of it comes from the internet. It's interesting when you ask the artificial intelligence apps, things that happened like before 1950s and 40s, they don't have the rich information. They're, they have some of it, but if it wasn't documented, it doesn't really exist unless they were able, it was popular enough to be on the internet. So you, have, well, you want to be careful as you go down this artificial intelligence path and understand its strengths and weaknesses and understand that it came from a regurgitated internet in large part. This was interesting. The world we live in is a world of interpretation. Concord as an agreement and not truth is the bond of our existence. And I think that has probably been taken to an extreme when you look at how politically a country can be divided and how people are willing to compromise their integrity, compromise their legacy just to be in agreement with their group. Pretty sad. In the 1800s, 1700s, they were able to talk about the subconscious mind. And as you may have heard me say in an early episode, I won't use the words mind and unconscious together. I will not call it an unconscious mind. Other than right now, obviously, I'm having to describe it. I won't call it a subconscious mind. And the reason is because I don't think of it as a mind in the context of our real mind. Our real mind is so powerful and the way it can regulate energy, the way it can direct the brain to create the gene expression or chemical cocktail, if you will, to have a placebo that can be as effective as the prescription drug. So the subconscious is not doing that. The subconscious is all about associations. And that's what we're going to get into in the next episode. But I just wanted to set the stage and walk through a few things. So right now, where it used to be the subconscious, now we're able to look at it from a neurobiology and gene expression standpoint. Even DNA alteration, by, by putting people in a controlled environment, they were actually able to measure extension of the DNA telomeres. And the telomeres actually shorten as we age and they actually lengthen. Not only do the telomeres lengthen, but the DNA unravels some, so it's not as tightly wound, which makes it easier to be read. It's really interesting some of the things that they're able to do, and these are things that we can change. Now, up until just the last few decades, it was believed that it is what it is. The DNA that we have is what it is. The brain that we have is what it is, but now we know with neuroplasticity, we can change our brain. Heart coherence, and there's a book, The Heart Math Solution, but the bigger story is the HeartMath Institute, where they have been studying this heart-mind connection, and they're saying that the heart has a mind, and not only that, when it's overridden, which it is by the unconscious or the subconscious, when that heart is overridden, it does not let go. And that's how people become ill, because the heart is still in charge at the higher level. It's just not as powerful on a day-to-day basis as the unconscious, as we'll get into. The short version is that the unconscious can process 11 million bits per second compared to the conscious mind's ability to process is only 50 bits per second. And you know, 65,000 waking seconds in a day, that's a lot of information that's just bypassing us. And so the heart and the conscious mind are not able to keep up. But it's a fascinating read. It's a, a dense book. And because there's so many new concepts in there, uh, it, it may take a while, but I think it's worth looking into and if you get into this, some of the energetics and all that, people talk about the energy centers, and obviously the heart is a major energy center. In The Matrix, I think as, uh, Bruce Lipton will tell you that The Matrix was really telling the story that he's been trying to say since 1970s, as he found out that genes adapt to their environment, but the medical community wasn't ready to listen to that. In The Matrix, they've got that scene where the artificial intelligence basically has taken over, And in order to get power to keep things going, they were using human beings because human beings generate so much energy. And they had these human beings in these forever incubators so that they could harness the energy from them. But anyway, so we got the neuroplasticity, how your brain and nervous system can continue to change. And then we have the coherence. As you get more coherence, you have less chaos and less rigidity. When you reduce the coherence, you have more chaos and more rigidity. And I like the way a lot of this maps across to other areas. When I look to neurons and even this coherence, and what does chaos and rigidity look, look like, you just think about mob mentality. It's very, very similar. And that makes sense because it's all atoms. I'm even seeing a connection of critical mass, which is a fusion term. It also has been adopted in change management, we're about 30 to 35% once you get that many people on board early adopters etc then the rest of the mass comes over it's very difficult to move the mass until you get about 30 35% and it's interesting to look at things like coherence and our associations and how what it takes to let go across the line or transform in that context. So I'm getting a little bit out there. I said I wasn't going to put this stuff into a context of woo-woo, but all I'm doing now is kind of setting the stage. Next next episode we'll get into a little bit deeper. I'll share some statements and see the ones that we agree with and ones that you don't agree with, and at least then we'll have a level set. So there you go. Talk to you next time.